0: So Ephesians chapter 4, we've gotten jumbled up with our services all swapping around. We're going to just pick up at Ephesians chapter 4. If you need to review and see chapter 3, it's online uh, on Facebook and you'll be able to uh, view that. Um, We are right in the midst of Paul encouraging the church at Ephesus as uh, he's... uh, trying to help them not falter into the place that uh, some of the other churches have that he's uh, been ministering to um Corinth uh has uh, had people come in and uh, denounce Paul as a teacher denounce him as an apostle and create confusion in their doctrine and create confusion in their church leadership and um as far as the people's trust in the church leadership and um He's in the place with the church at Ephesus that he wants them to uh, not be like that, to be strong and continue on uh, in their faith. So Ephesians chapter four, verse one, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he's already made mention of the fact that he's uh, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not a prisoner of Rome. You know, and we can get feeling that way about our circumstances sometimes, as though uh, you know what we're suffering, what we're currently going through uh, right now in our culture. uh, It's it's a great sort of picture. Now you know we get the impression from certain people that you know we're suffering these things because of evil people. And okay, you know, uh, coronavirus and uh, people meddling with diseases and whatever Uh, however that began we're currently now dealing with the confusion of how do you manage societies and cultures that are dealing with it Uh, you know move into uh, the fact that we can't go to church now look at uh, the civil unrest and violence uh, that's going on in in our nation uh, particularly it can feel like things are out of control and in the end Uh, God is in control, and all of these things have been sent by him uh, to teach us a lesson. If you stop worshiping Jesus Christ, this is what your nation turns into. And it's going to get a whole lot worse Uh, if people don't repent. The answer is not in politics. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know how active I am and encourage us all to be. You know, be involved politically, be salt and light, uh, you know, speak out publicly, vote, be proactive, all of those things. But the answer is not in politics. The answer is in repentance. The answer is in people's hearts turning uh, to the Lord. If we don't see that as a nation, you know, it's already over. I mean, the it's done. We're, we're, we've already uh, plummeted off. The edge, uh, you know, we've fallen into this place of despair and it is going to get much, much worse, much worse. Uh, you know, people, uh, I, I hear people, uh, you know, trying to preach a message that's encouraging and positive and, you know, all of these upbeat things. Uh, there's uh, nothing a- ahead of us uh, that is going to be good, that's going to be like that. Uh, you know, the... um Culture we live in has rejected the God who made this nation great, and as a result, uh, we're going to suffer the consequences. So God is in control. Paul is uh, in uh, prison because that's where the Lord wants him. Uh, He's already talked about in previous chapters the fact that it was uh, because he was a minister to the Gentiles that he ended up in prison, and there are uh, a few different layers to that. Uh, he's in prison because uh, he he's hated by the Jews, but he went uh, to the Gentiles and ministered to them and came back into Israel, and they wanted to kill Paul. So when he shows up at the temple, uh, they overreact, thinking that the man that he's brought into the temple is uh, a Gentile, and uh, they call for him to be you know killed, and they're trying to pull him apart, and he's taken by the Romans up to the Antonio Fortress, and uh, gets an opportunity to speak, and there the Jews listen to him right up until he says uh, that the Lord sent him to be a minister to the Gentiles, and the crowd loses its mind all over again, and now they plot to kill him while he's in prison, and uh, his nephew finds out that this plot has been formed against him, informs the Roman commander, who takes him in the middle of the night and transports him to the governor in order to stand trial. So you have those elements in place as far as he's in prison uh, for the cause of being a uh, minister to the Gentiles and uh, you know by the will of the Lord. But there's also the fact that now that he's in prison, uh, Paul is writing all these letters to the Gentiles. Uh, he probably wouldn't have slowed down long enough to put pen to paper uh, the way he has here uh, for us, had he not been imprisoned, and uh, then think about how significant and important the letters that he wrote are to the church today. If we did not have the writings of Paul, there'd be a tremendous amount of doctrine and tremendous amount of encouragement, strength, direction, practical uh, you know uh, advice that we would not have. An amazing amount of how we live as Christians is derived from the letters that Rome uh, Paul wrote while he was in prison uh, in Rome. So, you know, here you know, he's in prison uh, because of the Lord. I beseech you uh, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And, you know, this uh, whole attitude of begging them, beseeching them uh, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called you would think that given the way he's saying this and the fervorance that he's saying, it, you know, beseeching you and calling us with such passion the way that he is, that this would be a set of verses that really drew the church together and created a sort of solidifying effect. And instead, what we see a lot of churches doing with this is uh, turning it into a method to divide the church because they take the verse apart then they're taking the church apart uh, you know the bond of peace the unity now the unity is not uniformity I touch on that many many times there's an attitude uh, within religion and I, I need to be very clear about that not within Christianity true Christianity not within the faith but within within the religion that men always create, that somehow uh, we need to be uniform. And uh, that stems from pride, Uh, the issue that uh, a man or woman, a person, uh, decides I'm the one that's right, everyone else is wrong, so everyone else should conform to me. So out of pride, there begins this Uh, whole attitude of uniformity. So then denominations and churches end up saying, well, we're the only ones with the correct baptism. We're the only ones with the correct form of the spirit. We're the only ones that have the correct form of faith. Your faith is going to look different than my faith. You know, there's all kinds of room, and I'm not talking about departing from Uh, the orthodox foundations of christianity at all okay if uh, you know one group of people want to baptize people a certain way then so be it Uh, that's okay but that doesn't make someone else's form of baptism incorrect you know if a certain group reads in the bible you know baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when they baptize, they say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's their phrase that they use when they baptize a person. The next group notices, oh, well, right here in the scripture, it says baptizing in Jesus' name. And so when they baptize, they say, I baptize you in Jesus' name. Those are both legitimate baptisms. Because the name of Jesus is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is also Jesus. God, you know, Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so now they polarize from one another. And you know, one group is saying we're the only ones that have uh, the proper baptism. There's only one baptism into Jesus Christ. That's it. I don't care if somebody flings water on you or dunks you completely under the water you know i'm personally convinced and completely convicted that we need to submerge you you know based upon what i read in the scripture i also have poured water on someone's head in order to baptize them you know and i'll just let people freak out about that for a few minutes you know and you know start all kinds of doctrinal issues i thought will was you know fairly sound but now you know he's poured some how could this be and they go all just yeah, that person couldn't be submerged under water. They were near death. Medical condition would not allow it. We couldn't have done it if we had wanted to do it. So we set up the ceremony and poured water over their head, baptizing them. And in a matter of days, they were in the presence of the Lord. Just like that. You know, there's one baptism. We're being obedient to do what the Lord called us to do. There is a unity that needs to be had. Uh, It's a legitimate thing to look at, you know, what's going on right now in Christianity, literally today, as this pressure that's on our culture is causing people to abandon foundational elements of the faith. And it's legitimate for us to stand up and say what you're doing is wrong. And you need to return to this one faith and one baptism and one worship of God. You know, the the sin that is invading our culture, that is destroying our country, is causing people to compromise and cave in and throw in the towel on their faith and on their position. And and it's good and it's right for us to admonish them to return and come back to what the Lord has called us to. Two, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, that, you know, through all and in you all doesn't imply that all human beings are children of God. Right? You, you can, you know, listen to the likes of Oprah Winfrey, and she'll tell you that everyone is a child of God. Not according to the Scripture. Right, Jesus called a bunch of people sons of the devil, you know, there are those who are unredeemed. Paul himself tells us that we before we surrender to Christ, were dead in our sins, you know, children of the God of this world. so it is only once you have surrendered your life to Christ that you become a child of god so so Paul is addressing those who have heard the teachings of Jesus Christ, either directly or from someone else, and they've come to understand that what Jesus said in John chapter three is true, that they need to be born again. They were dead in their sins, and they've surrendered their lives to Christ, and they've become a believer. Of those people, there's one faith, right? Remember that Paul is having to address other churches and say, you're extremely sinful when you start the whole process of saying, I'm of Paul, I am of Peter, I am of Apollos, I'm of this teacher or that denomination, and you're dividing from one another. You're you're proving that you're very sinful when you do that. You're immature. So here, Paul is taking a fairly strong church and saying to them, "You're, you're correct and you need to stay to that assumption that there's one faith, one baptism, you know, one God that we all serve. But each to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure, verse 7, of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, again, I don't mean to ruffle feathers over uh, you know certain passages or doctrine, but um, there's no grounds here. To teach that uh, Jesus went, uh, you know, to hell. The, the, there is the false teaching uh, that is emerging Christianity uh, that is saying this passage teaches that Jesus descended into hell and and led those that were captive in hell uh, free from that captivity. Um, the answers in the passage. The next verse says, "Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he." also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. The descending that is being spoken of and the ascending that is being spoken of in this passage. Okay, now I understand uh, the teaching that Jesus gives in Luke uh, chapter 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. You know, the existence of Abraham's bosom and hell and, you know, they can see one another from those positions and apparently that's inside the earth. and All of the uh, teaching and debate and understanding that is in that passage, I, I understand that. But from this passage, what we would best understand is that Jesus was in heaven and he descended to the earth. To preach to us, who were all captive in sin, so that when he ascended back into heaven, we would be led out of that captivity into his presence. So that quite simply is what this is saying. Jesus, you know, why, why is it worded that way? Why is it so significant? because there's no other individual in all of human history that was in a spiritual place that descended to earth and taught men that there are many who falsely teach that that you know the buddhas you know or the krishna was you know part of the collective soul of god and came to earth and taught men and now that you know they've gone back into you know the state of Nirvana, or you know, finally entered. We can, you know, enter the state of Nirvana. That's all false teaching. There's only one who has descended to this lower state of existence, and that was Jesus Christ. Uh, there, there isn't, you know. You take the teachings of like Buddhism in regard to that. You know, th- there's this pool of souls. And they enter into this state of existence, samsara, going around and around, being reincarnated back into this life, changing from one state of life to the next state of life until they finally achieve an enlightened state and leave samsara and go and enter nirvana to become at one with God. They become part of the entire collective soul that is God. Okay. Uh, the plain and simple understanding of that is the number of human beings on planet Earth would always be getting smaller because people would be becoming enlightened and departing from here to go and enter nirvana and that number of people who needed to be enlightened would be getting smaller and smaller as they entered, let's just say, eternity. Uh, the human population continues to expand continuously uh, you know we're, we're currently you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 billion people on the planet uh, it, it, this this statement right here is to simply tell us there is only one there's only one who was a, in a spiritual location that descended to earth to teach us who were captive to sin the human race was completely ensnared in sin and the consequences of sin until Jesus Christ came from heaven, allowed himself to go through the whole process of human existence, including death, in order to rise from the dead to show us I now have power or I have power over death and therefore you have power over death in me. We were um, in a jail sentence, in a prison sentence. We were going to go to death and going to go to hell. Jesus Christ delivered us from that sentence, delivered us from that captivity. So, you know, this ascension, that's simply what it's saying. Verse 11, and he himself gave some. So this are the gifts that are spoken of in verse 8. He ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. From verse 11, there is a group of churches that often refer to themselves as the apostolic churches, right? You know, taking that term. From the the uh, title apostle, and they uh, it a a big thrust of that began in the early '80s in Kansas City. Um, uh, th- there was a group. They they never referred to themselves as the Kansas City prophets, but they became known as the Kansas City prophets. They okay. they were all false teachers. Uh, they weren't prophets. They weren't apostles. They were all false teachers. And that may ruffle people's feathers, and I'm not really concerned about that. Uh, the, the Kansas City prophets, uh, um, the idea already existed of a fivefold ministry, taken from verse 11. But the Kansas City prophets grabbed a hold of that idea of a fivefold ministry, and they insisted that God had reinstituted in the early 80s, this uh, issue of, and it it wasn't an original idea with them, they just really grabbed a hold of it and formulated it and promoted it, that God had reinstituted these offices uh, of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. So now, uh, you know, they start giving one another titles. Oh, you're an apostle, and you're a prophet, and you're an evangelist. Uh, I say they're giving it to one another. Mostly they were giving it to themselves. You know, they're suddenly announcing to everyone, God has made me an apostle. God has made me a prophet. And and then they want everybody to bow down to them. You know, you, you get amongst those circles and when the evangelist is going to come and visit their church, when an apostle is going to come and visit them, it's literally treated as though it's like one of the 12 apostles is coming here. It's literally that mindset of, The office of apostle has been restored. The office of prophet has been restored. Completely false. I mean, the arrogance that's involved in that is incredible. You know, Paul Reynolds, our dear brother, in the presence of the Lord, I just recently, once again, uh, had to go through a number of documents uh, from his estate, and uh, in it, I have them in my office. I have three printed prophecies from one of these prophets. So he was attending one of these apostolic churches. And uh, they, I mean, they've got the date, the time, and the name of this false prophet right on it. And uh, verbatim, word for word, transcribed what these prophets Uh, said to him I'm not going to name them or quote them here but completely false did not come true I mean they prophesied over his life over his marriage over his finances over all kinds of stuff you know really interesting one of them uh, talking about this huge blessing that was going to come which never came to his family never came to his marriage he's he was divorced that marriage was completely destroyed because his wife followed after that teaching and Paul departed from that teaching and they the church that he was involved in divided his family and you know those things never came to pass in it the pro- the, the prophecy that comes uh, this false prophecy that comes literally says that the whole thing should uh, will transpire when Paul uh, starts the whole process by giving a substantial gift to the pastor. Yeah, the one who's prophesying, which I know for a fact he did, and nothing transpired. Nothing transpired. False prophets, false teachers. This statement right here, right, Jesus Christ poured out his spirit, Acts chapter 2, fulfilling what is written in the book of Joel, and we experienced apostles, prophets, evangelists, and one position, pastors and teachers. Right? The Granville Sharp rule of Greek interpretation says the way that that is written, that pastor and teacher are one and the same. The illustration I always use is that Lori is my wife and the mother of my children. Same, same position, same title, same role. So the Kansas City prophets are saying that there's a five-fold mission that has come from the Lord of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. And teachers, and they actually differentiate in their movements between who is a pastor and who is a teacher. You might have a very good pastor, but he doesn't teach at all. And really, when you talk to them about it, what they're saying very often, not always, but very often, the office of pastor is the man who oversees the church. So that might just be a person who is a very good administrator, which Paul tells us is a different gift altogether. So the thing I want to dwell on now that I've sort of ranted on this is Jesus Christ poured his spirit out upon the human race in you know Acts chapter two and we received in the church at that time the apostles which we know right we, we have all twelve of their names you know Paul is one of them and right when we open up the Book of Revelation we discover that their names are engraved on the foundation of heaven. Their 12 names are engraved there. So it, literally you guys with this junk that's being taught in the church today I, am I supposed to like go in my office and and take those pages of prophecy that were given to Paul Reynolds by a prophet and what insert them in my Bible somewhere? Because we've got Agabus who was prophesying in the church and warning them of the famine that was to come. And we know historically that the church followed the teachings of the apostles and Jesus to the point that they as Christians left out of Jerusalem when Rome besieged it. They were following the voice and the teachings of the prophets. So the prophets that were there, can people be... An apostle today, one who is chosen by God and sent out, sure. But we're not going to then take them as a foundational element within the body of Christ, the same way that we take these apostles. Right? We're, we're not going to include the writings and the letter. I, in fact, I was wondering, and now I just realized, I received a, a pamphlet today which I threw in the garbage uh, from a man who's got a whole new vision about uh, I forget how he worded it but marriage within the church Uh, and uh, he's literally promoting the idea that a whole bunch of people uh, who are currently married in the church need to get divorced in order to live inside the proper method of God's design for marriage yeah, it's crazy. I just like, you know, I should have put it through the shredder, but I just put it in the trash. And, you know, claiming to be someone who we should now, he's here as the voice. We have the voice of the prophets. It's recorded in the scripture, right? I don't have to glue pages in, staple pages in, insert any teachings into the scripture. This is significant doctrinally, this little passage right here. What we have in the Word of God is what we need for the foundation of the church. What Paul is writing right here, this is what we need for the foundation of the church. Today, there may be people sent out by the Lord to go and minister in different areas, like the apostles. But it's not the office of apostle. Many people prophesy in the name of the Lord, properly, good and right, things that minister to people, speaking the word of God to them saying exactly what they need to hear. You know, this this week, uh, I went yesterday and uh, teach every week up at CRD, and um, I diverted from my normal teaching. And uh, you guys have heard me speak on the trustworthiness of God's Word and the different examples I give, uh, you know, like the... Uh, uh, mathematical breakdown of, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the spacing of 50 letters, and all these different things. And, you know, I divert from my normal teaching and just share uh, a number of things with that class about how trustworthy God's word is. And then we got into, you know, like the second half of the class, got into the passage in Matthew that we had been studying. And, you know, a couple of them came up after me and said, you know, that clarified so much. And one of them in particular said, that settled everything for me. You know, I went through this program previously and I didn't trust the word of God. Uh, but now that I've heard you teach on this and I have this understanding of how the word of God is not been corrupted, that it was written by the Lord himself and that it has been protected and preserved down through the centuries Uh, I have a freedom to go study the word of God and not ever again have to worry and wonder about the trustworthiness of God's word. You know, that was, I am not a prophet in this sense of having the office of, you know, prophet. I don't have a name badge that says apostle on it or, or prophet, but I was able to say something directly to him on behalf of the Lord, about the trustworthiness of God's word. So now he's able to hold to that. That was prophecy in his life. You know, direct ministry by the Holy Spirit from God to his hearing that now he can live by. Uh, So, you know, these gifts have been given. And what for? So that, you know, somebody can get a whole bunch of business cards made up and hand them out, you know, I'm apostle, will cast. I'm the evangelist, will cast. I'm the apostle, you know, the prophet. You just, if you could just, you know, speak in a hushed tone around me, you know, because I've I've got this authority given to me from God. I'm a gift to you, you know. Foolishness. People act that way though, right? You know, like I, my healing ministry, the will cast, you know, evangelistic healing ministry of, you know, central Maine or I don't know whatever, you know, the northeast. Usually these. Prophets and charlatans claim much more territory than belongs to them. you know I'll never forget uh, years ago uh, Calvary Chapel Bangor was helping deal with a guy who uh, you know came to New Hampshire and set up a church there and uh, he he was a crook, uh, ripping people off. I mean. Stealing people's money and uh, using the church and God and His position as a pastor to do it. Manipulated a woman out of thousands of dollars from a settlement that her son got. Her son was dramatically injured in an accident, and uh, the settlement was given to her to care for her son for the rest of his life. And this pastor manipulated thousands of dollars out of her, and just I mean, he's just he's just a crook. And so you know in the midst uh, of dealing with this guy you know he he basically just renames his church and in the process claims all of New England as his territory you know the church of such and such New England you know just never mind that the rest of you know his town and community and you know territory is filled with other churches who are you know, got great pastors and ministers filling the pulpit. He's, he's the guy in the region. That's usually what these guys do. They, they claim great uh, positions of authority and title for themselves. I, I, again, ranting and raving, verse 12, what for? For the equipping of the saints, for the working of the ministry. These gifts... That have been given to you, right? The, The few of us that are here this evening, I know each of you pretty well. You each have gifts. I have a gift. And our gift is supposed to be used for the equipping of the saints. That's what we're supposed to be doing with our gift. That's what I'm doing here. Every single time I come to this church is trying to better you, trying to equip you, trying to teach you Right? Just fill up your toolbox with everything I can so you go out the door and you're, you're sharper, you're, you're better equipped for having been here. Not, not that you could all walk away going, Will is astonishing. He just, wow. You know, and and that, that is how these guys that are fakes function. They, they want everybody to look at them as though they are The gift, the gift that you've been given is so that you can better the person who's next to you. That's what your gift is supposed to be used for, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know what I'm doing, what you're doing is supposed to make the hearer, the receiver of your ministry better at the ministry, better at working for Christ, for building up. Think about how many people that claim to be prophets are going around tearing down, you know, attacking and accusing and criticizing, you know, the, the negative aspects of. There's warning that takes place in the Scripture. Uh, there is, you know, the uh, you know message that comes from the Lord that would help someone to repent. But, you know, as far as the body of Christ, you know, what these people are going to do in the body of Christ is build it up, make it better, equip it for the work of the Lord. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, Philippians six, right? I'm confident of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The progressive work and process that is taking place in our lives is going to continue until we are in the presence of the Lord. So, you know, this whole process of Christ coming and giving to the church these people who are going to perfect and refine and equip is going to continue all the way to the finish line. There's not going to be a point where we all get to say, there, now I'm perfect. And you go, of course not. No, there are literally people out there that are saying this. I've shared many times I had to, didn't realize I was going to work for false teachers, but I got hired to go and run a a soundboard years ago on this big satellite uplink that was going on here in the state of Maine. And I get there and... uh, I'm halfway through the day running this soundboard for these guys and uh, come to discover that they all believe that they're sinless now. They, they no longer sin, ever. And I mean, when they first started talking about this, I mean, I was incredibly rude. I just, I laughed right out loud. And uh, then I got a little more serious and tried to be, have a little more candor as we talked about the thing. But they were, they were serious. And They don't sin, and they they never are tempted at all and don't falter. And before the day was out, I watched all of them work together to lie to everyone that was watching their television program. Uh, They they made a big plan to, uh, at the end of the day when we were doing our broadcasts, put up the 1-800 numbers so that everybody could call in and donate money. Uh, But because now we're, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the call center that receives these financial donations that we used in the morning, right, is closed because of the time zones that we're working in. So now they have to use a different call center, which means it's going to be a different 1-800 number that's going to be put up on the screen. So we change graphics and we change the call center and we change all the stuff. And then when it comes time, the pastor in charge of this, who set all of this up, gets up and gets in front of the camera and says, "You know, I had no plans to do this. We weren't, we weren't going to do it. But you know, we really ought to." you know, give the people an opportunity to give to the Lord. I just was sitting there listening to this message, and I know the Holy Spirit's leading me to do it. Johnny, can we get those numbers up one more time? You know, and they put that. I mean, we had a production meeting, you know, like three and a half hours earlier about it, and here's this guy lying and saying, we had no plans to do this, but the Holy Spirit just spoke to me now and inspired me. So, you know, why not just get up there and say, uh, hey, uh, you know, we've had this plan all along and we just want you to consider supporting our ministry and here's the 1800 you got to lie and blame the lie on the Holy Spirit while you're simultaneously arguing with me, you know, for around 45 minutes the middle of that afternoon about how you're sinless. I guess it's all on how you interpret sin and lying and manipulation, huh? And that's generally speaking how these people go, right? Uh, the ones that... Claim these offices, claim these positions that don't understand and aren't humble enough to say, "Hey, I'm a work in progress." The Lord is working in my life. You know, how many people have we run into along the way who were incredibly religious and we couldn't hardly stand being around them for five minutes because they were total hypocrites. They were fakes. They're 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 trying to sound like they're something that they're not. So. Within this discussion, until we reach the full uh, you know, stature, the fullness of Christ, the one, when we're in his presence, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So now he's ad- specifically addressing the fact that these gifts that have been given for the equipping, the edification, the strengthening, the building up, should keep us from being immature and thrown around and tossed around by every false form of teaching that comes down the pipe. It should occur in you, right? That's, that's how you know if you're in a good, solid church. You know, when the next thing comes along that the church is fascinated with and right away you're thinking like, something doesn't sound right there. And you read a little bit more of what's coming out of that movement or that denomination or that church, and you discover, oh, no, there is some stuff that's wrong with that. And before too long, you get to read the whole thing and get to see the whole fruit of the ministry, and you're left going, yep, no kidding. right? Because the maturity that occurs when you're attached to a group that has actually received the gifts that come from Jesus Christ that produce, you know, the behavior of apostles, the, the teaching of prophets, the work of evangelism, the instruction of pastors who are teachers. When you're in the place of solid growth in ministry, then the foolish winds of doctrine don't throw you around. You know, 91 and 92, when everybody's buying a plane ticket and flying up to Toronto to experience the, you know, quote unquote, Toronto blessing, you read a little more about it and you just save your money and stay right at home. And then you see the nonsense that comes out of those, uh, you know, locations and those churches and those teachings. When, When everybody's fascinated with, you know, Todd Bentley drop kicking people on stage because the Holy Spirit told him to you, say, there's something wrong with that. You know, I don't think Jesus would ever call someone to drop kick another individual on stage. Just doesn't seem right. Something's something's out of Not being pulled around by every wind of doctrine. You know, when we see people moving back to having prayer stations and candle stations and putting up. The icons on the church walls again and the priests, you know, the the pastors putting priestly robes back on. Things that were all abandoned during the Protestant Reformation and rightfully so. You know, that, that, you know, people are literally having a discussion years ago with a man from a Protestant church here in the area, who's angry with me because I I totally disagree with him, uh, saying that the Pope is not my spiritual father. And this man is saying, no, the Pope is all of our spiritual fathers. He's the head of all of Christendom. And I'm saying, no, you're wrong. We're not going to get pulled around. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the gift that came from Jesus Christ, has given us men and women who have taught us and led us and built us up, and given us, and equipped us with the things we need, so that we're not blown around, and tossed with every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, right, because we all have experienced those people that speak raw truth, but don't have any love to back it up, you know, they just reach right out, and scream at us. I, I can never uh, forget. I was a young Christian driving through a town nearby and uh, as I pulled up to the stoplight, I'm, I'm, I'm excited as all get out because I've just come from the local Christian bookstore, went back when those still existed. And, and I, I had a brand new Strong's Concordance hardcover on the seat next to me. Uh, A a, uh, commentary, Matthew Henry's Concise Commentary, uh, and and a brand new uh, uh, New King James Study Bible. Uh, And and I I was just stoked with, I had saved up my money and gone to the bookstore and bought these three, you know, reference tools, and now I'm even more equipped uh, to study God's Word and fill my life with, uh, you know, the blessings of the Lord, and I pull up to this Stop sign and I've already noticed that there's like a guy stand literally standing up on top of a box and There's people around him with picket signs and as I pull up I realize They're a bunch of King James only dudes and and the guy on the the soapbox is yelling directly at me Telling me you're going to hell I'm thinking wow going to hell and yet I'm like, I I got more adrenaline and more excitement in my life right now than I've had in weeks because I've got these three study helps with me right here and and, uh, I'm trying to literally, I'm young and immature, shout back out the window, no I'm not going to hell and and, uh, he's yelling that I am and I hold up my Bible and now he's yelling something about what version is that? And and so I pull around the corner and and he and I end up having a very heated debate over the whole issue for, you know, better part of 20 minutes. And my conclusion to him was, you know, in the end, because I was young and didn't have a full understanding, you know, here he was, you know, he was trying to speak the truth to me, but not in love. And, uh, you know, in the end... My question to him was, you know, where were you when I was in prison? Literally, when I was in prison, where were you? You're out here on your soapbox yelling at the crowd about the fact that they're reading from a different translation of the Bible than what you prefer. And I explained to him, you you can say whatever you want to. But it was a crazy young preacher with three foot long blonde hair that came in there and preached out of what was called God's Word. Uh, and, uh, man, if you get a copy of what's called God's Word and you compare it against the King James Bible or, you know, many it's one of the worst translations ever rendered. It's just so bad. But it's what led me to the Lord. It's the thing I learned from. It's what I sank my teeth into and what I began to grow with. Somebody came into jail and handed me a Bible in a very childlike a form of writing and said spend some time studying that and that's where i began and today you know i've got a much weightier approach to bible study and sermon preparation you know, there there are those in the body of christ who maybe they even are speaking truth but they're not doing it in love right now now you may have some that don't get me wrong I'm not saying to you, don't now, don't ever be hard or harsh. That's ungodly. I'm not saying that at all. You may have to be hard. You may have to be harsh. Make sure you season it with grace. Make sure you season it with love. Make sure that what you're saying can easily be seen as containing the truth in love. That that what you're saying demonstrates that. So speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Boy, we hear that a lot in the scripture. Christ is the head. Christ is the head. You know, he needs to be your head. He needs to be he needs to be our guidance, the form of thought, the direction, the insight to all things. Christ needs to be central in, in what we're doing, the guiding force in all of it. Um, You know, I just uh, having a conversation recently uh, with a a person who said outright, you know, I've always been a rebellious person all of my life. And now that I've been inside Christianity, I've run into a bunch of problems in the church because I'm a rebel at heart. And while I'm, uh, you know, a diehard Christian, I'm also a rebel. And I pointed out to this person that you can't be both things. A lot of people aren't aware of that. You know, go all the way back to that first prophet, Samuel, right? And I would say that the judges were probably prophets, but we have the clear distinction in the scripture of you have the judges, and then Samuel comes on the scene and serves in the office of prophet. And he anoints Saul as king, and Saul rebels against the Lord, and ultimately doesn't obey him, and Samuel has to confront him, and we get that statement, uh, Samuel 15, about how uh, rebellion is as the state of witchcraft. Stubbornness is equal to idolatry. Or we look at that as like that's somehow a God-given gift, and it's not. Now, steadfastness is different than stubbornness, Right? Righteousness will sometimes cause you to stand up like Peter and John and say to the authorities, the governmental and the religious authorities, to stand up and say, because of righteousness, I will not obey you. You know, righteousness to some people looks like rebellion, but what you're doing is rebelling against the sinfulness of the culture. You know, this person's saying, I've always been rebellious. And when we talk about it in the end what it is is independent, mouthy, you know, talk back, doesn't submit to authority, you know, all these different things. And 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 I was able to talk to them because I struggle with all the same junk. But as a young Christian studying the word, I came across that occasion where Jesus stops the whole crowd and tells everyone to look at the centurion. And his faith. And says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Why? Because that man said, I also am a man under authority. He's not a man who has authority, possesses authority, wields authority, uses authority, crushes with authority. He's a man who is in authority, in it. There's authority over him, right? And those who serve under him. We, we need to understand uh, you know, what Christ has done in becoming our head. We answer to him about how I treat you. You answer to him about how you treat me. We answer to him about how we treat our, our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our loved ones, the world around us, our neighbor as ourself. Christ is the head from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what? Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So uh, we'll end right there, but just some brief explanation. This, this authority of Christ, which is you know seen in these apostles and these prophets, these evangelists, and those that are pastor-teachers, is going to be seen in submission. You're going to recognize in them that they are submitted uh, to Christ. And, and for what purpose? That we would all be joined together for the working of the edification and the building up of the body, uh, You know, edifying of itself in love. It's an unfortunate thing that so many people within the church uh, don't understand That whatever degree of authority we receive, because there is authority within the church, whatever degree of authority we receive in the church, it's for the building up of the body. It it isn't for the elevating of self. It's it's for uh, the service to someone else. You you think about just a sort of last thought. You think about what Jesus is saying. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? You're gonna to have to be the servant of everyone. So, he didn't say it's it's wrong of you to desire to be the greatest in the kingdom. He didn't say that. You know, motivation and uh, you know ambition are not things that Christ or the body of Christ rejects. But those things, uh, motivation and ambition, need to compel us to be greater servants cause us uh, to take the lower position, cause us uh, to strive to be the servant of everyone. And, you know, if we'll do that, it's it's difficult to not love a person that will do that. You know what I'm saying? When someone will just dive for the low position, it's really hard not to like them. It's, it's easy to be offended with someone who's always you know, setting themselves up, always lifting themselves up, always promoting themselves. It's easy to get offended with that person. So we'll leave off at verse uh, 17 and pick up uh, there next week. Uh, Why don't we pray and and we'll fellowship for a while. Father, we thank you uh, for your love and for your word. And I pray that this message would sink into our hearts, that what you have given to each of us and what you've collectively given to the church should be used for the benefit of everyone else other than ourselves. Help us to be men and women that do that. Help us to be men and women that are filled with your spirit, who want to serve in the way that you serve, that we would want to descend into the lower positions, that we would want to descend into greater and greater work, greater and greater servitude, help us to empty ourselves of ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you daily. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.